Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Eleanor M. Baker Rogers, sissy to those who know her, first appeared on Collections by Michelle Brown to introduce her book, co-authored with Fasaha Trailer. They carried us the social impact of Philadelphia's black women leaders follows the lives of 95 black women from 17th century Philadelphia to present day. The book is based on historical research of 46 forerunners and interviews with 49 contemporary women. Baker Rogers returns today to give a deeper dive into the impact of one of the forerunners profiled in the book. Cordelia Jennings Atwell was born in New York to William Jennings, owner of a men's furnishing store, and Mary McFarland Jennings, a homemaker. Her family moved to Philadelphia while she was a child. She was an exceptional student who won a prize for study and conduct. Jennings Atwell was enrolled at the Institute for Colored Youth at age 13. Following her graduation, Jennings Atwell opened her own school in her mother's home. Her school quickly became popular and at one time had 30 African-American students. Jennings Atwell moved the school to Ohio Street where it was renamed the Ohio Street Unclassified School. The Ohio Street Unclassified school was prominent within Philadelphia's African-American community. In fact, the Institute's 1865 Board of Managers report commended Jennings Atwell and her school for having colored teachers teaching colored students. After her marriage to Joseph Atwell, the first African-American Episcopal Deacon of Virginia, Cordelia went on to establish other schools around the country, including in the states of Virginia, Georgia, and New York. Sissy, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown, and thank you for sharing with us the life of this remarkable woman. Well, I mean, well, it's good to talk to you again, and is it all right if I continue to call you Sissy? (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, when last we talked, Sissy, you were just like kicking off this, this phenomenal book. They carried us, The Social Impact of Philadelphia's Black Women Leaders. How is How has life been since kicking off the book? 
You know that that question has um, sometimes. Uh, sometimes I feel like the answer to that question is, is is up and down. I would say that for you know, and it might it might be because people are now settled into a routine related to the pandemic that um, everything is on Zoom and people are used to doing that now. Uh, so, you know, activity for us has definitely, definitely picked up over the past six months. Uh, events that, you know, were previously scheduled, you know, for in-person, uh, you know, sessions have all you know, pretty much been rescheduled for Zoom, and we've conducted them, and have more coming up. And so, you know, I would I would say that you know it's it's been a good time. It almost it almost feels like to me that that this was this was the time that the book was really supposed to be promoted. Um, and I say that in light of the recent uh, election of. Uh, uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris and uh, all of the other uh, really, you know, important things that we have been hearing and seeing, uh, you know, black women do, uh, you know, in our country of late. So I, I really feel like they carried us as, as at this point, you know, perfectly timed for, the, you know, for what's happening around us. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that it, it's amazing because, you know, people talk about, and I, I think we mentioned that when, when we talked about your book, like now people are going like, oh, you know, black girl magic, and she's our first, but black women have been doing it and carrying the load and building that platform for this generation to stand on their shoulders for a long time. Oh, and, absolutely, and, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, starting with the, you know, starting with the woman who people don't don't either know much about or hear much about, but um, Charlotta Bass was actually the, you know, first black woman to run for uh, vice president, uh, right, run for the vice presidency, and then of course people know, you know, about Shirley Chisholm. Um, uh-huh. Hopefully, people know about you know Shirley Chisholm, but uh-huh. you know I think it really is important to emphasize the, you know the 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 role of you know having had shoulders to stand on, and in fact that there were you know shoulders for Kamala, uh, you know to climb up and stand on, and it's just a beautiful time that we're that we have finally arrived at. Yeah, and I like I said, I think like I agree with you. I think that this is the perfect time for this book because yeah. not only do you have this this focus on you know these black women, but you've got a lot of people who are young people who are learning from home, and mm-hmm. some things are put on them to go and find out more for for them where they can sit down and read this, and and maybe it can be the subject of research to go and do it you know because as much as i as i love seeing little girls look at the vice president look at michelle obama you know we want Mm -hmm. them to know about women who 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 survived you know despite it all and are here because when you stop and you think about when the constitution that's the thing that that having kamala harris as vice president when that constitution was written Black people weren't even considered as people. No, know? that's right. That's right. I mean, 
we were like stuck, yeah. you know. Yeah, we were stuck. <laughs> you know? That's exactly what we were. We mm-hmm. were not. We were not the the, the subject of the of the Constitution. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I mean, so, so that yeah. I think. So that's really an important conversation to have. Now, do you find like doing the Zoom? Are you reaching spaces that you didn't and areas that you weren't? planning on doing with the initial launch of the book? Well, I want to, you know, um, dovetail in what we're doing with young people, uh, you know, since you brought that up, you know, the mm-hmm. importance of, you know, school-age children uh, and, and, young, and young teenagers, you know, learning about their history, history and learning about the history of, you know, the 95 black women in this book and, and others. We have been, um, we have spent probably the past six months uh, developing um, partnerships with Teach for America uh, and the School District of Philadelphia. Uh, now, Teach for America is, uh, also operates classrooms in the city of Philadelphia at public schools and charter schools. So we've been working with a cadre of their teachers and teachers um, from the School District of Philadelphia to integrate. They carried us into the classroom. And, in fact, that's the name of the project. They carried us for the classroom. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, we, you know, the, 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 you know, I would say that I was, I was um, hopeful that, that those partnerships would flourish in the way that they have. They, they still are, you know, we're still in the planning phases. We're about six months in, although some teachers have started, uh, you know, using the text already. Uh, you know, we are um, working with both of those organizations to, you know, they need to do fundraising as best as they can to, you know, get the book. Uh, and get it into the hands of their teachers and their students. But but we've made progress, uh, you know, with both of those, you know, with on both of those ends and both of those, you know, those 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 projects with with each entity is what I'm trying to say. Uh-huh. Uh, and the you know and the um, you know the the response is just you know incredible. Teachers are so honest about what their students don't have and don't know about their own history uh, and their history even as Philadelphians, you know, and their history as black black people and as black girls. So, you know, you asked, you know, have, have we been – that for me is one of the most important projects that, we are in, that we've been involved in and we're currently engaged in. Uh, beyond that, yeah, we had this fantastic program uh, about a week and a half ago, actually on February 1st, I should say, uh, kicking off uh, Black History Month with um, a, um, a video that we had produced uh, called uh, Black Alice and uh, Black Alice of Dunks Ferry, who was the, she was the first uh, known African American woman born in the city of Philadelphia. We launched, we had that program on Facebook Live, and you know, since since the premiere of that video, which was also accompanied by um, with uh, a conversation with three women from the book around leadership issues uh, for black women and leadership challenges and that kind of thing. We've had over 1.9 thousand people view that video. So that's that's wow. just really fan 
That's really fantastic. Uh, you know, we have, we have some upcoming events at bookshops, and um, that's good. We have an event next week, and they had one last week. And so, yeah, you know, we're, we're – um, and, and – and it's with audiences, you know, some of these events have been with audiences that we didn't necessarily anticipate. Um, we, we had hoped to get, you know, to get um, in front of bookshops, and now that's happening. So that's, that's fantastic. Wow. Now, uh, you know how you told me once how you thought about the neighborhood and there were areas that, that you had walked, you know, that you had lived in. Have you heard from other people in those neighborhoods who said, you know, like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't, you know, and has it in any way transformed some of the people in those neighborhoods? Yes, yes, yes. And I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, some of the teachers in particular. You know, that was one of the, you know, when we were when we were writing the book and going back and forth uh, with um, our our editor, uh, you know, about some of the content. You know, one of the areas, I don't know if I mentioned to you this before, but this area, you know, this issue of whether or not we were going to include, you know, specific streets, specific street names and corners and neighborhoods and that kind of thing. And, you know, that was something that I really insisted on, insisted on because I wanted people to be able to visualize where these women had walked. And to hear people who have the book, they're just astounded People are astounded, really they are, um, to, you know, to say, to be able to say, I know exactly where that is. In fact, there's one woman I was talking to a few months ago who lives right around a corner from where one of the other women lived at the time, you know. Um, that, that, that kind of, um, I want to say, in-your-face or, you know, revelation makes this kind of book and the women in it even more real especially the, you know, the forerunners who are no longer with us. Um, so that, that placement and being able to visualize is definitely, definitely something that um, has been a recurring theme uh, as we've talked to people. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, you had told me, you know, like there were so many women and you had set the criteria to, um, to decide who you were going to profile in the book. Then I come along and I and I asked you if you could pick out someone in the book who was like an unsung hero or the more people would should know about. What process did you do? Because you have so many incredible women in the book. What process did you look at? I know at one point you had four people, but how did you? Right. Who came to mind and and and? What process did you use to, like, whittle down, I mean, who to talk about this time? It was really hard, Michelle. It really was uh, because, you know, as you said, there are 95 great women in this book. And, you know, what I think the first thing that I decided was that I was, at least, you know, for my first level of elimination was that I was going to identify both a uh, forerunner, uh, that is one of the women who lived, uh, you know, either during the 19th century or maybe they died in the 20th century. But, you know, those early women who, you know, are no longer with us. So I wanted to make sure that I selected from a, a forerunner 
and a contemporary women. And the contemporary women obviously are those women who, uh, who are still living and uh, who still, I like to say, are walking amongst us. So that was the first level, uh, you know, that I really, um, that I decided that, uh, you know, to use for a criteria in selecting who to talk about today. Uh, the, the other was, you know, it's unfortunate that um, so many of these women are unknown. Um, mm-hmm. And... You know, I, I realized even though you asked me that question unsung, that had to be, you know, I had to look at, like, what does it actually mean to be unsung? You know, what, what is the depth of the reality around people probably don't know who this person is? Um, and so, you know, from as, as being a Philadelphian, uh, you know, I either knew many of the women or had heard of you know, the women, so the contemporary ones I'm referring to. Um, I didn't know much about, I didn't know much about uh, a number of the, of the forerunners. So that was my second level. I decided, okay, then, I, then I'm going to choose from somebody who, uh, who I myself didn't know much, much about before starting to write the book. That's on the end of the forerunners um, and also the contemporary women. So I didn't want to select someone for this conversation who, who, I had previous, who even I had previous knowledge of. Um, and then I thought about, you know, you know, all of this is of value to me. Uh, but I, I have to tell you honestly, I reflected on myself and my work, uh, you know, in my career as an educator, and then that's how I decided that I wanted to talk about an educator. Uh, although, uh-huh. you, you, although, you know, I think there was either four or six other, you know, women in total who I was considering. Each of those women, you know, we could have a robust conversation um, about. But considering, you know, all of the challenges that are confronting um, education right now in, in the current environment that we've been living in, I wanted to highlight someone who was an educator um, who had experienced significant challenges, certainly different from what we all are experiencing right now with COVID-19, but someone who was able to nonetheless, uh, you know, in her, you know, in, in her place of reference, be able to, and it was hard, you know, for her, mm-hmm. uh, but for her to be able to, to, you know, really just like push through it and do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll talk some more about what the doing is. And, and, and let me just emphasize that one other reason that I, I, I decided to select an educator is, you know, there are so many challenges that public schools and charter schools are facing right now with virtual learning. Uh, where they don't have the, you know, the kinds of um, resources that, that private schools have. And certainly there are minority kids who attend, you know, private schools, but we do know that the vast majority of minority kids, uh, black, uh, black and brown, you know, attend public schools. So um, I just thought that this would be a timely conversation. So well, before you, we're going to, I'm going to let you tell us who it is, you know, and then uh, after our break. But, you know, one of the things when I looked at, you know, who you had said, and then I saw educator, and when you think about the African-American experience, that education was the dream, but it's still the dream that's yet to be fully 
fulfilled. Yes. I mean, it was like they didn't want us to read or right. they only let us learn how to read the part of the Bible that said we should be slaves. But then mm-hmm. as we learned to read more of it, we saw a pathway to liberation. And it's Absolutely. like education. We have always said, you know, I think all of us, it was like go to school. Like education was going to be our pathway to liberation, to fulfillment. And mm-hmm. like you were saying, we still are struggling with education. And sometimes you wonder if, you know, how do we get back to how key education has been and cherished education mm-hmm. has been with our community? And, you know, that was something that I was thinking about. And then when I saw your final decision, I went like, yeah, you know, that's so <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, great minds, great minds. Okay. 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 So we're going to take our, our first break, and then you're going to come back and introduce us to our unseen guest, our ancestral okay. guest. So we'll All be right, right back. Okay. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're talking with Eleanor M. Baker Rogers, one of the authors of They Carried Us, The Social Impact of Philadelphia's Black Women Leaders. Okay, Sissy, who is uh, our ancestral guest? Our ancestral guest today uh, is Cordelia Jennings Atwell. She was a teacher, principal, and school founder in the 19th century. Cordelia, um, what you said before break was, was true in terms of, uh, you know, the ways in which we were really prevented from learning to read and write and to participate in any form of, of learning and education. And um, Cordelia came up with good credentials, and by that I mean that she watched her mother teach and found schools. And um, there must have been something in what she saw happening that made her realize how important this was. Differently, in some ways, from our uh, uh, black women uh, historically being relegated to teaching. In other words, 
there was a time certainly in the you know 19th century when a woman's work or a black woman's work I should say was either as a domestic or a mm-hmm. teacher it seems to me that you know from what I've learned about Cordelia is that she went into the field of education because she more because she wanted to as opposed to because it was all there was available to her. Uh, so I, I want to I start there. Okay. Cordelia, yeah, Cordelia was, uh, she was a mulatto. And, uh, you know, we, we, were, we don't use that, not a term that we use nowadays. Uh, that's simply to say that uh, she had, uh, her dad was, was white, he was Scottish, and uh, her mother was black. She was born in New York, and um, the family lived there for a little bit before moving to uh, Richmond, Virginia, and then eventually to Philadelphia. Um, and where where they lived in Philadelphia pretty much was the area that we refer to as the Seventh Ward, and that was the area in Center City slash Society Hill as we now refer to it, where middle class and elite blacks lived. Um, so she definitely was, you know, was, was of, that, of that elk. And, 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 and also she attended a very prominent uh, African-American school that was called the Institute for Colored Youth. And I say prominent because, again, it was mostly the children of middle class and elite blacks who attended the Institute. And the Institute is now fondly known as Cheney University. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yep, one, one and the same, one and the same. So, as I said, as a young girl, um, well, she was actually the, the oldest of uh, – of three children that her parents had. And as a little girl, she watched her mom uh, as a teacher. Uh, Cordelia graduated from, and this really shocks me when I think, when I really, I sat down and I did the math as simple as it was before, you know, before our call today. Um, I did the math on when Cordelia graduated from ICY and when she first opened, when she opened her first school, she graduated at the um, ICY at the age of 17. And almost immediately after she graduated, she opened her first school. So at wow. 17 year, at 17 years old, this girl founded a school, which you know. Mm-hmm. Shocks me, you know. When I think about, you know, a seventeen-year-old, um, and you know, obviously, obviously, that was an important thing for her to do, a necessary thing to have been done in that time, in that era. Um, but it just amazes me that it was a seventeen-year-old who, who stood up and did it. Um, she did not have a building for the school. The school was founded in her mom's home, and um, it was it was in her it was in her mother's home long enough for it to have grown to. I think I think she, her school grew to 
having about 30 students, which actually is a lot of kids in, in one house, you know. Uh, she had 30 students, and she eventually ended, she eventually hired three teachers, uh, you know, to work with her. Um, and, you know, so, you know, she went about that for a while um, until deciding that um, to move the first, she, first, of course, she, because the school was, was growing, she had to move it out of her mother's house. She moved it to another location not far from uh, where she lived in Society Hill, uh, the seventh ward, I should say. Uh, and uh, that, that area was uh, then called Ohio Street, uh, around 12th and Pine uh, in Philadelphia. Um, and around that same time, she petitioned to the Philadelphia Public Schools for them to, um, for, for the school to, her school to become a part of the Philadelphia Public School System. And the schools, the school district, what, what we refer to as the school district, but then it was called the Philadelphia Public School System. They agreed. And um, so her school was was uh, rolled into the Philadelphia public school system, uh, and at that point they asked her to stay on as the principal of the school, and um, the school was renamed the Ohio Street Unclassified School. So she was and still when, quite young, though, wasn't she? She was she was twenty one years old by then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what was, the age, she, what was the age of the students? Uh, you know, the students actually could have could have been, uh, you know, as young as five or six, mm-hmm. and they could and they could and they could have been as old as she was herself. Uh, as you as you know, historically, uh, when you know blacks did, you know, begin to go to school to attend black, mostly black schools or freedmen schools, freedmen bureau schools, they were, you know, the students were across the age continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really was no different for, you know, for her, for her school. Uh, it amazes me, just as much as I was amazed that a 17-year-old founded the school, it also amazes me that a 21-year-old became a school principal. Um, I just I just find that incredibly fascinating, um, and as I said, you know, obviously she, you know, you know, obviously I, I hope that you can hear why she is included in they carried us, um, mm-hmm. you know, certainly to, you know, to take on a mission like she did and to embrace it and it become you know, really, you know, a, a huge part of of all she was. Um, you know, it's just really tremendously gratifying for me as a um a product of Philadelphia. Um, you know, there were, you know, by the time I I guess went to middle school and I'm gonna digress just a little bit, by the time I went to sure. middle school uh, by the time I went to middle school that was when you know, busing around, you know, school integration, you know, was happening. So that wasn't the case when she was teaching. You know, her, her students didn't have any other, any other options or anything like that. They could only go to, they could only attend colored schools. And even though the neighborhood school that I attend, the all-black 
neighborhood school that I attended, elementary school, I should clarify, even though that was a really, really good academic school, there was something about knowing there would be more advantages academically in an integrated school setting. Does that does that make sense? I mean, that's what we, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, um, that's that's one of the things that that blacks had fought for, you know, in terms of education, not, not just, you know, no such thing as this, you know, um, um, well, what's the phrase, Michelle, help me, um, equal but not equal, unequal, uh, what's the phrase? Separate but not equal. Separate but uh-huh. not equal. Um, uh-huh. You know, we wanted we wanted equality across, you know, academic schools. And so I guess where I, where I was just going with that and bringing up my experience in at Philadelphia, it it astounds me that someone. Um, well, I mean, I could I could think back to being seventeen. Uh-huh. <laughs> it astounds me that someone of her youth, you know, had the forethought, forethought, and the dedication, you know, to keep pursuing and pushing, to you know help help uh, black youth at the time when she did. Um, but you know. The name of how they call it the Ohio Street Unclassified School sort of makes yes. you think too about you know prior to a certain period of time you know we went to school and the idea was to learn to read and write so that we could do things that you know we didn't not that we were supposed to aspire to be greater and that's so unclassified you know that. Has, uh, <laughs> Uh, that that connotation is like, well, you know, we don't. Well, they're going to go to school. They're going to learn to read and write and do that. Do you know what was what was the curriculum like, and why did they call it that? That unclassified is it because it was all ages and they're together, or because it wasn't like it was seen as a stepping stone to higher education? I knew you were going to ask me that question, and so I knew you were going to ask me that question, and, you know, so I did my best to, you know, to do some research around it, and the best that I could, the best that I understand is that it was called unclassified school because it was not, two reasons, one, um, it was not originally uh, structured as a public school. And two, which is kind of the obvious, is, was that it was, for all intents and purposes, um, a black school program. Mm-hmm. So it, they could not classify it as public. And, and I know that sounds kind of weak, but that's, that's, what, that's the best that I can discern from what I read about, uh, you know, why, why it was called that. Um, now also, you know, keep in mind that the, the other piece of it certainly could have been, and this is more around race, you know, all of her students were black and, all, and, and the three teachers that she had were black. So this was a, you know, this was a very different thing for the Philadelphia public schools. Now, in terms of in terms of the kind of courses that they had, I have no doubt that that Cordelia and the three teachers who she hired, who were also 
graduates of the Institute for Colored Youth. I have no doubt that the courses and the classes that her students uh, were responsible for were hardcore because what they studied at the Institute were really, really, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, women, the girls just took economics, you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't basic, you know, basic reading, writing, and arithmetic. You know, it was geometry. It was, it was Latin. Uh, you know, it was, you know, studying the classics. It was, it was all of these things that, that um, make for a really rich and fuller curriculum. I, I, would, I would bet I would bet some serious money that she did not give, give and given who she graduated with as well, one of the um, women who she attended the institute with um, uh, was uh, Dr. Caroline no, I'm sorry, that's not that. Rebecca Cole is who I'm referring to and who I meant to refer uh -huh. to, Dr. Rebecca Cole who became, you know, an early physician and, and, and other people who attended that school, these are people who, who were really trained by their parents and by the institute to be able to handle, you know, a really rigor, rigorous curriculum. Uh, and, you know, keep in mind that, you know, this was Cordelia doing this. And, and <laughs> what I mean by that is that, you know, she she went into this so that, you know, she could have help young black students achieve and, and to do something different and be something different. So she wasn't out watering down that course, the, the, their coursework at all, mm -hmm. not by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like you said, like she came from, I mean, she had her family. Her mother was into education. So she had that foundation because I'm sure that, you know, she wasn't going to do less than what her mother had expected of her. Absolutely you know? not. Mm -hmm. And yeah. she lived in, I mean, and she, and, and, you know, and we're talking about what was happening in, you know, the Philadelphia, you know, black community, and that's significant. What, you know, Philadelphia's elite black community, um, you know, really uh, were, I don't want to say well known. That's what. That's not the actual the actual phrase I'm looking for. But we're very progressive, okay. Um, and certainly in comparison to, you know, elite black communities and elite black communities in other in other cities and states, Philadelphia was progressive. Uh, you know, people came to Philadelphia because of its black community. Uh, you know is what I mean by that. So, and and the, and the graduates from from the institute just, I mean, have just gone on to do just went on to do incredible work. Um, but but, so, but she was also. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to just talk a little bit more about other places that she that she um, worked uh, and founded schools after well, she left well, before, Philadelphia. Before you go to that. How was that, you know, you said where she lived growing up, and she had this school in her, in her mother's house, and then from there she moved into, to, you know, a building. But, you know, yes. 30, she didn't have, she moved into the building when she, after she got up to the size where she had like 30 kids, or, you know, yes. was that when she moved? Oh, okay. So it was like yes. constantly growing. 
And the students who she had, were they from the Philadelphia area or were they people who migrated to Philadelphia and then found the school? No, they, they, no, no, not at all. They were they were Philadelphians already, and mm-hmm. um, and they were more than likely um, children whose parents had means, mm-hmm. financial means. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a and it was a private school. Um, oh, okay, okay. So. so so it went from being a private school. Then she merged it. She got integrated into the public school system. And did that Correct. change? Did she still have, like, the final say on, on her curriculum on who was able to come there, or did they say, well, we need a school for the black community, you got it. Was she the only school? Was there more schools for black students? There were other schools for black students, uh, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hers was just hers was hers was one of several of the schools for mm-hmm. for black students. And I, I think the distinction that I want to make, uh, I, I believe I understand your question, is that you know early on it, it has. I'm be careful about how I say this, but I think that that you know, interrace class issues. Um, mm-hmm obviously were in play, you know, even even then. So as I said, her students uh, were, you know, came from families of, of means, middle class or, you know, or elite. And that was pretty much the same for some of the other private schools that were established early on in Philadelphia as well. The public school um, system had um, been had been up until that point predominantly white, and schools were then uh, opened for black students. And those students would have been uh, most likely across, most likely students from different neighborhoods, uh, you know, in the city than than the neighborhood that her her students initially, uh, you know, lived in, if that answers your Mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. How has that neighborhood because I know she did some other things, but I want to, how has that neighborhood changed oh, over the years? Like you said, like for one point in time, that was where the elite changed. Did that neighborhood change? I mean, is it still like? Let me, let me tell you about that neighborhood. That neighborhood uh-huh. is where, that neighborhood is where uh, Richard Allen's, Bishop Richard Allen's Mother Bethel A.M.E. Church um, is is located and is still located. It very much was. It was, you know, when I say it was an elite neighborhood, the the, the houses there are tall. Um, they look stately. Um, they're refined, and, and, and in some ways, that makes them different from some of the other neighborhoods uh, around the city of Philadelphia. And that neighborhood, what, sh- what has shifted with that neighborhood is now um, it is predominantly white. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it is, it's, it's a, I w- yeah, I'm going to just say it. It's an area where predominant, where, where, where mostly rich white Philadelphians live. 
uh, it's known as Society Hill. And I think that the name in some ways, you know, speaks for it. I would think, and this is just, you know, you know, it's a wild guessing here, but I would, I would suspect that there will be quite a few people who live in Society Hill now who would be surprised to know if they don't already, that their homes were probably the homes of elite blacks of Philadelphia in the 19th uh-huh. century. You know, uh-huh. I mean, these are beautiful buildings. So when you think about having, you know, 30 uh, kids in one house, I'm not talking about a small home at all. You uh-huh. know, I'm talking about something that's tall, you know, three stories, uh, you know, spacious inside, you know, lots of rooms. Um, you know, like that, and beautiful uh-huh. architecture. Um, you know, and, and and it still is. It still is differently now, though. It's it's very much is a is a is a vibrant and beautiful area of the city of Philadelphia, but predominantly white, if not all white. Are African Americans like today aware of that part of their history? Uh, you know, in that neighborhood, even though they're not in there now? Probably if we had a, a, a you know, a group of uh, 30 people of our age in a room right now and we asked them that question, they would not, they would be shocked and surprised. Mm. I, I really do honestly believe that they would be shocked and surprised. And, and a big part of why they would be shocked and surprised is because it's so hard to think about us as having been elite, uh-huh. you know, as us as not just being the people who went into those homes to clean them or to otherwise, you know, take care of them and take care of the people who lived in them, the white people who lived in them. I believe people would be surprised, and I and I know that again from people who we have spoken to, you know, at some of our events, um, you know, you, that's an area that you go to, that you pass through. You might go down there for, you know, dinner or a movie or something like that. But it's it's a place where where you frequent. I can't tell you how many times I've been on those streets. Millions of times over the course of my life I've been in those streets, and it was not until writing they carried us that I knew that I'd, I myself discovered the our rich history in Society Hill. Well, I know that she went, she went, she had another life after that, but before we go there, is there any kind of commemorative marker or something that says, about where the school was, or what has happened to that school? Is it is what happened to it? My understanding is that the building is still there, and I have to be real honest with you and say that that it's one of the things I want to go check out myself next time I go back home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been I've been in Virginia during the entire time. Uh, that Fasaha and I were writing the book, you know, with an occasional jaunt up there. Uh, But because we have a very strong interest in uh, developing a a map, a tourist map, and also a map that school children would use 
of, you know, some of these sites. Uh, I have a very strong interest of going to that location. I believe, if I am correct, I believe that the physical, the physical building is still there. I'm sure I've seen it and didn't know that's what it was. Wow. You know, it makes me think because I'm, there's um, Osian Sweet, who is a big part of black history here in Detroit. His house, mm-hmm. for the longest, I mean, you would have you gone right by and not known it. And I recall reading in a book and going, like, wow, I know where that is. And, mm-hmm. and then later on, eventually they put like a historic marker. And now, you know, you know what some people, as you start to develop those tours and things, people are going by and going like, oh, this is a part of our history, even though you wouldn't think that it had been ever. So that's why I was wondering about that. There are definitely, they're definitely in that area, most definitely a number of historic markers that um, are dedicated to, uh, you know, African Americans from the 19th century. I don't know whether or not her school is, is still, it, whether her school is marked. I do know that there's no street marker for her. Uh-huh. Well, from, you know, because we talk about, um, because they care, from that school, how did that school have a mark? on future Philadelphia, where you can, like, sort of draw a line back to that school having been in Philadelphia? Well, you know, I really think that the the answer to that question um, lies with, you know, what came after the school and, you know, what those students, you know, were, you know, were able to accomplish uh, you know, Philadelphia's, what we captured in, in, and they carried us, alludes to the successes of not just her students, but students who attended the Raspberry School, that's another school, um, and, the, and the Institute, that they, you know, these, these are folks who went on to be successful people. And, and what I mean by success in a lot of ways is that who, you know, went on to have an impact, uh, you know, in the city of Philadelphia. Um, Her school and she have been written about by other scholars, certainly by uh, scholars at Villanova uh, University. They've taken a very deep interest in in her and some of the other um, early 19th century, uh, you know, Philadelphians. that's probably the best way that I can, you know, answer the question uh, to uh-huh. my knowledge because, because, because she was interesting about Cordelia, and it's not different from a number of the people in the book. What you will find about her in the research is going to be the same everywhere you look. So this, this lack of information, you know, is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know how else to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that then she left, and she went to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, yes. She went to become a principal. Yes. Did she? Okay, but I know that, that she also ended up marrying uh, Joseph Atwell. Um, mm-hmm. 
what was the lure? Was the lure to be, was it to be continuing in education? Was, you know, did he, was following him, you know, part of the, the church because he was um, a deacon in the Episcopal Church? What made her make that move? No, she made that move because because there was this job that was open, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the job that, that they needed. He needed uh, a principal, and um, so and she heard about that position. So she didn't she didn't know him previous to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was you know it was it was definitely less about him than it was about you know being the principal of a Freedman's school. And from then, I will say that with every other move that they made, primarily because of uh, his work as an ordained um, deacon of the church, every other place she went, she did establish a school. They went, she did establish, either establish a school or became a principal of a school and those other locations as well. Um, So, for example, she she opened schools in, in Petersburg, Virginia, and and Nancy opened a school in Harlem, New York, uh, and she also wow. taught. In, yeah, she also taught in Savannah, Georgia, and in Macon, Alabama. So, you know, this was this was her life's work. This was her mission. Um, you know, it wasn't you know it wasn't because she was you know looking for something to do. You know, um, uh-huh. but you know when when he when his when it was time for his job to move to, you know, another state, you know, she she found a way to also open a school or to teach at a school. Wow. So she, I mean, like, and she had obviously experience because, I mean, she'd been, a, she started a school, she'd been a principal, she went to other places, and she found that were they all geared towards uplifting black people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, again, we're talking the 19th century. Um, not only could you know, we we had a program with the Philadelphia Ethical Society um, a few months ago, uh-huh. and one of the things that I talked about during that uh, during that meeting was the fact that that. The women and they carried us. These women were on a mission. Mm-hmm. Okay, they, in the, in each of their respected areas of focus, or work, or career, uh, impact, they were on a mission. And so that's one. Two, you have to keep in mind that that uh, black teachers were not allowed to teach white students. So, um, you know, she, there were no other opportunities for her. That's not to be said to, you know, to say that, you know, her focus on, on black students was because she couldn't teach anywhere else. It was because she couldn't teach anywhere else or because those students could not learn anywhere else that she founded schools or that she taught at schools. This was this was her mission, what we refer to as, as a, uh, education as uplift. Uh-huh. And, you know, um, even going back to um, another woman in the book, um, 
another forerunner, uh, Ruth Wright Hare, whose father was uh, Richard Wright. Uh, and, um, you know, he was, when, 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 when the Union, uh, you know, freed the, freed the slaves, I'm trying to make sure I tell the story correctly, when the, when the Union freed the slaves, uh, I think he was in South Carolina at that point, and one of the one of the generals or lieutenants went to the the shack of a school that where Richard Wright was uh, a student. You know the 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 lieutenant or general asked, "What can he asked? What can what can I take back to tell the North?" Okay, and Ruth Wright Hare's father stood up in tatters of clothes and said, tell them we are rising. Uh-huh. That's where that phrase comes from. Tell them uh-huh. we are rising from, from Richard Wright, who became Dr. Richard Wright. This was a boy who was in tattered clothes. You've seen the pictures of former slaves. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, even though her school in Philadelphia catered to the kids of middle class and elite you know, black families. That wasn't the case in Savannah and Macon and Petersburg and, and Harlem. You, you know, um, this was about this was about uplift. This was about building educated blacks who could then go on and to make a difference in their lives and their family lives and their community lives. And we know that. You know that. We know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, when you stop and you think, you know, like you talk about how she went from Philadelphia and, and one type of, of student and then like to go to Kentucky, Virginia, and then end up in Harlem. And some of the other places she went, I mean, these are like seeing really the differences in our communities yeah. and what was happening to us. Did she ever yeah. write about any of this? I, I wish she would have, because I, I would love to. I would love to, to to read some of that. But no, no, not not that has been found. But mm. can't you imagine the culture shock, though, even for her? I know. I mean, I mean, when you stop and you think, I mean, okay, Philadelphia, okay, then she goes to to Kentucky, Louisville, well, right. Louisville, you know, it's south, but right. it's not. Deep, you know, and then and then later on end up in Harlem. I mean, yeah, which yeah. is like, and over the period of years to see the things as they had changed, right, and right. the people's experience. I mean, if she had written, wow, you know, that would have been like phenomenal. It would be incredible, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And now, mm-hmm. you, you can you imagine her in Petersburg, Virginia? I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that was, that was, you know, that was Southern Virginia. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm in Virginia. Believe me, Virginia was Southern. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. some people might say, well, it depends on where you're at in Virginia. No, Virginia Southern. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, she met with a lot of challenges. I, I, I wish that, she, that there were writings of hers to have been found, just as there were writings, uh, diaries, uh, that were unearthed by one of the other women in the book, uh, Emily uh, Frances Davis, who also attended the institute. But she was not um, she was not elite or middle class, uh, but she was able to, to to afford to you know to go to the school. 
um, there were there were diaries of hers that were discovered, mm-hmm. and um, she talked a lot about obviously, um, you know, what it was like living in Philadelphia in the 19th century, and um, you know, moving around all of these um, all these people, and 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 uh, you know the work that they were doing. So, I mean, it's just like I mean, really, I mean, to have found some papers of hers would have just been like. Really, really amazing. How did she first come into mind uh, as part of of the of these women who you were looking at as a forerunner? How did how did she come into your radar? I actually think she came into our radar via another woman uh, who we had found out about, and that was. Uh, Caroline Le- Caroline Rebecca LeCount, who was also a graduate from the institute, and was one of the teachers that that Cordelia hired to work at her school when it was in her mom's home. And by the way, uh, when when Cordelia left Philadelphia to go to Kentucky, um, Caroline LeCount became the principal of the Ohio Street Unclassified School uh, under, the, under the Philadelphia public school system. That's how, that my recollection is, that's how we found out about, about Cordelia. And now you might ask, okay, so what made Caroline, you know, stand out and be, you know, differently important? Um, there's much to be found about Caroline LeCount because she was instrumental for two reasons. One, she was instrumental in uh, the campaign to desegregate Philadelphia's uh, streetcars. That was one reason. And the other reason is because she was was, uh, the fiancé of Octavius Cato. Uh Um, So... So Caroline's name, because of you know her work with the, on the streetcars program, and um, I, I shouldn't call it a program or activism uh, around uh, desegregating the, the streetcars, and her you know, connection to Octavius, who also taught at the institute. Um, that that's how a Cordelia's name sort of came up, uh, you know, in that context. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take our second break, and then because I want to talk a little bit more about Cordelia and some, and it's interesting that like, there were three years difference between Cordelia and Carolyn, yeah, you know, and that but they both became principals of the school. That's just like amazing. But we'll be right mm-hmm. back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode.
we're back here on collections by Michelle Brown. And this Black History Month, I mean, you know, we are recognizing one of the people who carried us from Philadelphia, Cordelia Jennings Atwell. And, you know, it is through that path, that education, that, you know, we have, many of us have achieved more, learned more, been exposed to more. You mentioned earlier, you know, that she was a mulatto, which now we call biracial, multiracial. We have so many names from it. But uh, how did Mm -hmm. that play into her ability to open the school and in this elite neighborhood then to be accepted? Did that play a role where if she was not, did that open doors for her? I know that her father had been, had had a successful business. He, um, in men's furnishing, you know, right, her mother right, had already right. been established and, and taught. How did that play a role in into it? And then also when you stop and you think that here she could have stayed in Philadelphia and been comfortable, been part of the, you know, the yes, elite yes. class. But then she went to she went to Kentucky, Virginia and all these other places to where, you know, um, yeah. being a mulatto in a quarter, you know, might have got you a deal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I definitely, I definitely hear your question, and you know, the answer is, the answer is a little painful uh, historically, I think, uh, and you know, it goes to, you know, this issue of complexion, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know whether or not I'm. It's interesting. I'm looking at. I'm looking at the sketch of her, uh, not as it's in the book. It's the same sketch, but I'm looking at it, uh, you know, printed out uh, from my uh, computer. And so she's light, you know. And so I don't know whether Uh or not she, I don't know whether or not she was able to pass or not. Um, But, you know, she was light-skinned, definitely you know, looking at this image, you see that she was a uh, refined lady, uh, you know, uh, uh-huh. and, and she was, and she was, you know, she was of the middle class. So, you know, in those ways, she was able to, to do things that perhaps say, how about this, somebody like uh, Harriet Tubman couldn't do when she first came to Philadelphia, you know, uh-huh. um, you know, because because of her station in life, um, so I do I do think that 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 standing and we and we know historically there we we've read it in in so many different places that we know that you know this issue of skin color has mattered for um, the movements of mulattoes differently than uh, you know people who you know, look like me, who are absolutely, absolutely as dark as can be, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that, that, that that mattered along with her class, along with her status. Um, what was the second part of your question? No, I wondered if it did open. And then, I mean, you know, then I was just thinking. It, it, though, it, had, it had to. It, 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 it absolutely had to have made a difference. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine that it did not make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
I just can't imagine that, that it didn't. Well, you know, that's why you also wish that there were diaries, because you can imagine from being in Philadelphia, then to go to some of the places that she went, I mean, again, a culture shock, mm-hmm. you know. A culture shock, I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A culture shock. I mean, a culture shock for her, you know, uh, you know, just in terms of the different geography, uh, but, you know, the, the, again, the class issues, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, was, she, was not a, she was not a poor or, or, or lower class, uh, you know, black person. And, um, but see, when I, there's something that I want to, I want to be clear about though, and I, it was something related to what you said about her leaving Philadelphia and going to uh, Louisville and, and, and St. Petersburg in particular. Uh, you know, that was, that was, that was what, that was what a lot of, of a well-to-do black women did. They left the North to go teach in the South, mm. um, to go teach, go to teach blacks in the South. That's what they went to do. So, you know, it was part of her doing that in large part, and again, I realize that at some point she was married to, to the deacon, um, that, but it goes back to that, the comment that I made before about this being a part of a mission. She very much was a part of the cadre of women, black women, who were well well off and could do so and went to the South to, to teach other blacks. Hmm. Now, that's something that I had not heard that before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So they weren't. What was the drive to do that? What made them feel that that was their mission? Was they wanted because to of save the, the, what they thought of they wanted, they wanted to save their southern brothers and sisters. They wanted hmm. to help uplift their southern brothers and sisters. That was the mission. Um, let me read you a quote of hers, okay? And, okay. Um, it's actually the quote that appears with her story in our book. Education is a reality with the freedmen now, a fixed fact. We have no quaint or rapturous expressions of thanksgiving or wonder to narrate as when schools were first opened and we introduced books with their mysteries. Schools are a system. We have classes like those in other regulated institutions. That, that speaks to the progress that her and other blacks were able to affect. Uh, it also speaks to this notion of mission uh, and purpose. Education is a reality with the freedmen now, a fixed fact. This is what we're doing, and it's important that we're doing this. Now, keep in mind that, you know, northern blacks, as my grandmother used to refer to us, uh, we're northern blacks. Uh, you know, northern blacks, for whatever reason, were seen as, you know, whether or not it was all true or not, you know, were seen as, you know, being, you know, much better off than southern blacks. And, and you know, and yeah. Um, so they wanted to lift them up. I keep saying that, but that is, that is, 
a huge part of the mission, a huge part of the reason, a huge part of her activism. Yeah, that, that, because, you know, as you put it that way, yeah, that's activism. Where, that's activism. Uh-huh, where people might not have seen that, they're like, oh, you know, it's a mission. But that was activism, and what they did by doing that literally comes back to how these women who went back to lift up others, and they did carry us. That was part of their activism mm-hmm. so that others would want to achieve and do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would refer you beyond the stories in They Carried Us uh, to another work that uh, I keep close to uh, my desk. It's, ca- it's called The Education of Blacks in the South from 1860 to 1935, and it's written by uh, James, Ant- James D. Anderson. Um, first of all, the picture, or the cover picture of the book is just so, um, I, I think it tells the story. There are, it's the, the cover of the book has uh, black kids on it. And, mm-hmm. and you can see, you can see the despair in their eyes and their faces. Um, they've been dressed up but um, few of them have shoes on. And, um, yeah, if you want to read more about the, 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 the North and our work in the South and the Southern schools, um, I would refer you also to that book. Now, now you have a, a background in education. Yes. Prior to writing this book, did you sense, the significance of what these people had done, what these women had done, you know, on your path in education? Absolutely, without, without a doubt. Um, I, you know, I'm a native Philadelphian. You know, I attended public schools in Philadelphia, and um, my family was, you know, was, was we were poor. We grew up poor. And um, so... You know, for me, when I started hearing, uh, you know, as I said, I know of some of the women in this book, um, you know, to hear their stories, like, for example, you know, Dr. Constance Clayton, uh, who was a revered educator in the city of Philadelphia, as well as Dr. Ruth Wright Hare, um, you can't help but be inspired. Uh, and, And then also for me, I think I mentioned that it's maybe the last time we spoke, uh, you know, I had the benefit of having a, a a black woman who was a mentor to me, who was a director of personnel at the United States Mint while I was there doing a school internship. Um, so I, I would say, you know, to, uh, without a doubt, these women absolutely influenced, you know, my movements, my, my trajectory, and I know my sisters as well. Um, but then again, you know, we were able to, my mom was able to, uh, you know, get us into the better of the public schools. Uh, both her and my dad have uh, you know, high school education, and, um, you know, they were really, you know, committed to to our education and to, 
you know, so I had my I had my mom in that list, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Um, they they wanted to make sure that things were different for us. You know how sometimes things are. You can look to the past for answers to today. And as you look at now, and, you know, we have this digital divide, we have everyone going home to school, we know our kids have continued to fall behind, been behind, to fall behind. It's so sad. If if Cordelia (sighs) was here, (laughs) do you see her starting schools again? And with how would Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no I mean, and, how, I mean. And, and what I mean, would they look a, like? <laughs> yeah. If, if Cordelia were here, I have no doubt that her schools would be private, all-black institutions. Um, and I believe that, I believe that so strongly. Uh, Caroline LeCount, um, Again, her her student, uh, her who became a teacher at her at, at Cordelia School, she she once she once was quoted as, as saying that um, that that colored children should be taught by colored teachers. And, and over the years, as an educator, I struggled with that myself personally, whether or not I believe that um, or not, or whether I think it has benefit. And I do believe it has benefit to see someone who looks like you and who cares about you as your teacher. I absolutely believe that Cordelia would have schools and they would be private all-black institutions, much like Spelman and, and, and uh, Morehouse and all of the rest of the HBCUs. Absolutely, because we have lost, we have lost, um, momentum educationally uh-huh. uh, and 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 there continues to be financial and and other resources that divide urban black and brown kids the quality of education that is afforded to them I mean you know I mean because I could just see her and especially now I mean that we have a lot of visibility and the fact that our kids are still lagging behind. I it, mean, it's unconscionable. Could, I know. Sorry. I know. Sorry. I mean, you know, really. I mean, so you could see someone like that, like her. I mean, at 17, I mean, she started a school, you know, and, oh. and, and she talks about how that education is a reality. It's a, re- and, it's a fixed know, fact. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you should, you know, you bring that up um, in that way as well because I, uh, maybe another a week ago, everything, a lot happened a week ago, I was actually a, a judge uh, for an, a student oratorical contest sponsored by the School District of Philadelphia. And um, we, you know, and, 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 and listening to the, the kids, the, the young people between grades 9 through 12, hearing them talk about the issues as they affect them. These kids were crying out for people like Cordelia Jennings Atwell. 
to come and make things differently better. The Philadelphia School District is a meeting that I think I'm going to sit in on a city council meeting that I think I'm going to sit in, sit on next week, just as a you know just as a observation kind of thing. Uh, but my understanding is that the per dollar um, expenditure for students in the Philadelphia School District is close to twenty thousand dollars. $20,000 per pupil less than some of our neighboring suburban school districts. Uh-huh. And the infrastructure of, of uh, not just Philadelphia's public schools, but public schools, you know, across the country and, and many urban areas, these buildings are old, antiquated, and the teachers aren't necessarily the ones who um, are the best qualified. Uh And that's a problem. Uh Yeah, I mean, because... I mean, when you stop and you think of not only like that it was a mission, it was that <laughs> activism, that that commitment to finding our kids and yes. educating them, you know, going where they are, where now, you know. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Do you need some water? Yes. Uh, let me just okay, take a go sip. Get, go get some water. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm good now. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. You know, I mean, because, I mean, I know some people where it's like, you know, what they don't want to do, what they, what they do want to do is some of them it's just a job, but that, that mission, that activism to go and to, when you hit an area <laughs> where there is no school, to right, found right. a school and start that school. Uh, right. There's um. There's some revolutionary things happening in the city of Philadelphia around black education and black educators, but it's happening outside of the Philadelphia School District. And I absolutely, absolutely applaud those efforts. Um, Collectives like the Black Education, uh, Black Male Education Initiative, these are people who are former educators either in uh, public schools or charter schools who have come together to create a network of black educators and they're teaching one another how to get better at their craft of teaching and to Mm -hmm. also found schools. Um, So to me, you know, there are some people out there who, who, there are a number of people out there who see that this is so important and are, you know, as as blacks are becoming, they, they, they themselves as activists, as black American activists, as educators are, you know, rolling up their sleeves and, and, and finding solutions to these problems because our kids cannot continue to have subpar education. They just cannot. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, and like I said, this is part of our, education is part of our legacy, you know, from right. that, that first person who, who snuck a book aside and, and figured out how to read it under peril yes. of death, you know. Yes, yes. And then on down who, who groups who met and taught one another how to read to people like Secretly, Cordelia. secretly. Secretly, yes, yes. thank you. Secretly, to Cordelia, who at 17 is starting a school, and then when she goes on, Carolyn, who's right behind her, takes over as that principal of the mm-hmm. school. I mean, I mean, this is our, our legacy, mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. which is Absolutely. just like... Absolutely. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I am so, you know, I, I'm just so honored to have come to know them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, yeah. Now, you Cordelia asked, had four, four children. Oh, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yes, Cordelia, Cordelia had four children. Did uh, any of them follow in her footsteps as educators? Um, let me see. I do have something else here. What did it say? Retained as... No, it doesn't say. Huh. Um, no. I don't. I don't have uh-huh. that information. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but you know, she 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 lived until 1921. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And you know, from all from 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 the records that we have, she continued to teach right up until then. Wow. Yeah. In writing in writing the book and, and having it up, you have two people who who were really involved with the the institute for Colored Youth in Philadelphia and the school that she founded afterwards on Ohio Street. Have you heard, do you, have you heard stories about, you know, like someone saying like, well, you know, my mother, my grandmother, so-and-so went to that school, and we remember when that is. Have you heard stories from the community since the book has been out about that time? No, what we've heard is that people attended what the what the institute became, and that is, people attended the early Cheney uh, College. Uh-huh. Uh, so it changed over, probably. Um, let's see, the institute became Cheney. I think right at the top of somewhere right around the top of the 20th century. So we've heard of people uh-huh. who. New people who 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 went to its next iteration as Cheney, uh, but you know all you have to do is go online to see how many incredibly great people graduated from that institute for color youth. That is that is well documented. Uh-huh. And when it became Cheney, it was a college. It went from being like a school to college, and what type of college was it? Right, right, right. Um, it was. It became a college. It was. It was definitely still. Um, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, men and women. Uh-huh. Uh, co-ed is what I was trying to uh-huh. say. Co-ed, uh, not residential initially. Uh, and Cheney was out on farmland. That area is still farmland. It's in the suburbs of the city of Philadelphia, Delaware County. Uh, to be exact, and you know the 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 classes that that they took there at Cheney really prepared them to be 
professional people, um, you know, not a school that trained them to be farmers, you know, or uh-huh. anything like that, but trained them to be profession, professional people. I have a, a photograph on my desktop of, um, it's called the Cheney Reading uh, the Cheney Reading Room, and it's uh, a photograph of probably 15 to 20 uh, black women students of Cheney uh, sitting in a room reading and, you know, doing their schoolwork. And it's really a powerful image to see. Uh, and then there's another image that I've, that I've seen uh, quite a bit of um, a group of, of black male students uh, in a lecture with uh, Albert Einstein. Uh-huh. Um, my guess is that they were learning things that the black women weren't learning. So I want to definitely be clear to say that I know that there were differences in what men and women were being taught. Uh, you know, what was a man's field versus what was a woman's field. Uh-huh. Well, which is another thing that you can see that Cordelia probably will be like breaking that down too. You know? I know, I know, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I definitely think so. I'm trying to remember. It wasn't. It was. It was another one of the women in the book who uh, was at the institute, and she was the principal for the girls' school where they learned economics and you know some other things like that. Um, <laughs> You know, those kind of things were, were not specific to, you know, black schools, you know, during that time. Uh-huh. And um, and they also, some of them spoke to the kinds of, of work that was available for people. Uh, I'm glad that there are people like Cordelia who, who took it a step further and, and didn't, you know, say, okay, I'm going to be a teacher, but I'm going to be, I'm going to have more impact. Uh, by founding schools and hiring good teachers and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think that that would be, if Cordelia were, were to sit in, what would you want, what do you think she would want people to take from her life? Um, one of the things I think she would want them to take is the importance of travel and context and um, getting outside of your own environment to, you know, get a broader sense of the world. And I'm, you said people, I'm, my head is still in school students um, as uh-huh. I'm answering this question. Uh, I'll never forget uh, when I was at the beginning of my career and uh, taking a group of kids to the Baltimore Aquarium, and the woman who I was with was um, telling me that, you know, of the people that she had talked to, so many of the Philadelphia school kids had not ever gone outside of the area, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that was all they knew. So I think she would push for that, um, like really connecting the subject of geography to to travel and opportunities for kids, because that really does open up the world for them. Um, I think she would also want us to take rigor from her, discipline, I think mm-hmm. um, she would want us to take, uh, and a different level of commitment. And 
uh, I think she would be aghast at the fact that there are unions, school teachers, you know, school unions, uh-huh. um, and that I think she would be aghast that, you know, schools are only open for a certain time during the day and not on the weekends and, and not during the summer, you know. I think that she would have some problems with some of some of our educational system. Um, I think that, and what that means for me is that I think that she would, she would want people to take the belief that education is should be more than that. Education should not be limited, and that it probably looks different for different people. Um, you know, one thing that I think that is that is impressive about her as a woman. She married, you know, the the good deacon, but. Mm-hmm. Everywhere they went, she had her mission. I mean, she was yes. on the point. Everywhere yes. she went, you know, yeah, you, yes. they can move you here, okay. And she went and assessed the area, and what did she do? She founded a school. And, yes. uh, you know, yes. I mean, that, that part right there is just like, you know. Yeah, she didn't. You know, she, she, she wasn't home, you know, you know, being barefoot and pregnant kind of thing. Uh-huh. And and I know that there's a place for that for a lot of people and a lot of families, but I will say that that is one of the things that significantly just was a significant characteristic of of all of the women, and they carried us that they believed and knew that they had a contribution to make, and they made sure that they were able to do it. Uh-huh. I mean, and I think that that's an important lesson because, you know, I would say to a young woman, I mean, you don't have to found a school, but there's a contribution that you're supposed to make. Yeah. That, you know, so when you land, you can make that contribution. And like you were saying about the travel and going places. I mean, I know, I mean, I think, unfortunately, a lot of urban kids only know what they see. What and they you see. do need to... You know what what's in their four or five block square block area, but when you go, it helps you get that context about what's different, but what's the same, right. and you know, and right. and, and, right. and how people are. So I mean, both of those things, like you can see that, yeah, she came from a nice family. She could have been happy there, but she went. And I imagine that each school was better because of mm-hmm. the last school she had been at. I, I agree. I, I imagine that as well, definitely. I don't know. Again, something you just said made me want to ask you this question. But I'm, I don't. I'm not sure if you were, if you were on for, if you were at our event for Black Alice when we premiered that video or not. But one of the things that struck me, and this is related to, um, and, and, and so I'm going to flip what I said a, a couple of minutes ago. You know, when, when we talk about getting out and exploring different places. Get out and explore your communities and where you live uh-huh. and the city that you're in. These, you know, this rich history that's in, they carried us, and all the places that these women were at and the, and the work that they affected, it, it really is, again, it's mind-blowing to me, uh, even as an educated, you know, Philadelphian um, what my my point is that when I was talking about Black Alice is that 
there was a point in this video, I'm going to share it with you because it doesn't sound like you've seen it. You really no, you will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You will enjoy it. It's only about, it's, it's less than 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Um, but, the, but the woman, Black Alice, who's the first woman in the book, when she was a slave girl, she lit William Penn's pipe. That was one of her jobs, to light William Penn's mm-hmm. pipe. So I was talking to the school people who I'm working with, school district, and I'm saying, you know, I think you should take those kids to City Hall and stand and, and raise your finger up to the sky where at the top of, the, the top of City, Hall, City Hall is a statue of William Penn and say to them, the, this is the man that you just heard about on that video. That little girl lit his pipe. Uh, that's that's uh, rich history right uh-huh. there in your city. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, that blows yeah. my mind. Uh-huh. And it's so true because you often hear, like here we have you know, the east side or west side, and sometimes when you tell people from the east side what's on the west side, they have a guard. But that's one of the beauties about this book. It's like yes. whatever your little niche in Philadelphia is, Look at these people who are all, you know, walk around and find these places. And they might not right. be marked, but if you know, you can take someone else right. and go, like, right there used to be that school. Right there. Right there, Abs- yep. right there where you see where all these white people live. That yep. was our community. You know, I mean. Unbelievable, so, but true. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, to know that, that about Society Hill is like mind blowing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think, and also, and also, keep in mind that these women in the book, you know, all even though they all congregated in Philadelphia, you know, at a place at various places and times, you know, a number of them came from other places, other states, you know, and so, you know, they, they, they. My, my point, the point I'm trying to simply make is that. You know, this isn't just a Philadelphia book. You know, it is about Philadelphia and is definitely focused on Philadelphia's black women leaders. But these women, a number of them came from other places that had that shaped their development as well. Because uh-huh. I'm telling you, I mean, if I was sitting in Harlem, I'd go like, let me go look this up, you know. Who is right, this woman? yeah, you know, right. Who is this woman who came here and what happened from there? Well, Sissy, exactly. I, wanna, I mean, really, I mean, it's just like, like you said, you talk about their time there, but then they went on and made their mark in other these places. And, you know, I often like to, when I go to a different city to try to look for things, I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of these people who have done something where you'll go like, oh, well, let me go see what they did in this. They were here. Let me see if I can find that and right. find this and right. see what they did. But also, you know, that you may be from, one place, but you can make your mark everywhere. You know, it's so everywhere. Like, yes, everywhere. Yes. Scatter those seeds of what you, of who you are, your essence, everywhere, and yes. it will make a difference. Absolutely, well, I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Well, Sissy, I want to thank you for for sharing Cordelia Jennings Atwell and a little bit of Carolyn LeCount with us. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, can, I, I always, you know, I tell people, like, this book is perfect for the pandemic because it's a, it's a, a healthy book where, you know, yes. instead of Netflixing and chill, read about a couple of these women and chill, you know. 
And concept. you can jump around, too. You know, mm-hmm. you jump around and find where you're interested in the book. And know? I know that. And I've often told people, like, as they came into Black History Month and they were going, I said, well, you know, this is a great book. <laughs> Not only for Black History, but for all the time. But if you yes. want to, you know, and next month is Women's History Book, Women's History Month, and so here, you know, again, we'll be revisiting, yes. you know, that. But um, and don't be surprised if you get a call and I tell you, you know, pick me out another person. You you, you know where I'm at. You know where I'm at. <laughs> you know you know I do. <laughs> I'm gonna look for that Black Alice um, link. I want to check that out and I will share that with people. Okay. I want I want to thank you so much. Stay safe. Stay warm. You um, you as well. And thanks for having me on your show again. I appreciate it. I want to thank our guest, Eleanor M. Baker Rogers. She co-authored with Fasaha Trailer the book. They carried us the social impact of Philadelphia's Black women leaders. The book follows the lives of 95 black women from 17th century Philadelphia to present day. It's based on historical research of 46 forerunners and interviews with 49 contemporary women. It's an excellent resource, not only if you're from Philadelphia or during Black History Month, but for anyone wanting a deeper look at the role of African-American women past, present, and future. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.